This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, where we get to talk about romance novels and the things that people who write them do and other stuff too. I am Jess. And I'm Trisha. And we are recording on Thursday, March 2nd. Welcome to March. February is over. I would say winter is over, but it snowed last night. So I don't I don't know. In Tucson? Yes, in Tucson. Climate change. Yeah. And tomorrow the high is in the 70s. Well, that's fine. That's I fine. Uh, I mean, like, I spent, like, 20 hours in Tucson over the weekend, so I feel like basically now I'm an expert. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm very surprised to hear about the snow. Very. <laughs> although we did get rain while I was there, and my friend who was hosting me was like, sorry, this doesn't usually happen. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm here from the Pacific Northwest, so I can handle the rain. A little bit of rain. Yeah. Speaking of which, we went to um, Antigone Books, Jess, uh, your bookshop that you've talked about many times. I don't know if you have mentioned in the many times you've talked about it how prominently your book is featured there <laughs> at Antigone Books. Black Love Matters by Jessica Pride. Everyone, if you haven't read it yet, you should. Uh, more than one of my friends I was with bought a copy. So, you know. Oh, yay. Oh, thanks, guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a lovely, it was a lovely little shop. I'm glad I got to go. I am too. They do cool things there. And they're 100% solar, which, wow. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Boy, I'll need to make my way back to Tucson. Yes, you do. <laughs> now I know all the cool, and I'm learning all the cool things about it. All right. So now my friends are reading your book at this point, Jess, but what are you, what are you reading? Well, I am going to call myself out for being that person who, while I have been meaning to read more backlist of stuff that I own, immediately downloaded Scoreless Game by Anna Zabo and L.A. Witt mm. when I woke up yesterday morning, because that's when it released, and I was ready to start reading. It is the second book in their Pittsburgh Griffin series. I think it might have a different name, but I can't remember what the series name is. And I already have a lot of feelings about the two main characters based on their presentation in the first book. So I am very excited to keep going. I am 7% in and already both smiling like a loon and absolutely devastated. So I am ready to be broken by these two authors. Is this the one I feel like you may have mentioned where it is the same timeline as the first book, but a different perspective on that timeline? Is that is that not real? No, this one okay. this one is is later. Got it. I don't know. I feel like there may have been a book that you talked about that was like that. Or else I imagined it. I'll have to go back to our past episodes and and listen, see if I can figure out what I'm talking about. But uh, I do remember you being excited. There are so many books. So I'm sure that I have talked about something like that. Sure. Well, and once I figure out what it is, then, uh, you know, I'll share with everyone. (laughs) Well, that sounds uh, like a delight. So that one's brand new. 
Yes. Came out March 1st. Wow. The first one is Rookie Mystic. Oh, I think, and I think I bought that last time you talked about it. So uh, that probably should be the book that I'm reading. But what I'm actually reading is an older book. It's a book called A Week to Be Wicked, and it's in Tessa Dare's Spindle Cove series. Mm. I think we actually considered the first book of this series for a book club book, like way back when we first started doing book club. Mm-hmm. But we ended up doing something else instead. This one's from like 2012. This I don't know if you've read any of the series, Jess. It's Tessa Dare's first series, I think. So Spindle Cove is essentially this like country estate area where young women who are somehow like outcasts from their family, like they're not pretty enough or they're too shy or they're not into like, you know, quote unquote feminine pursuits, like they're interested in rocks or in you know battle or whatever else and they kind of they're kind of like misfits and outcasts and they all just go and live on spindle cove together to just be happy oh and yeah it's a delight and they're all and they are happy except the so this book is like i said the second in the series and this young woman minerva is a geologist she has um she's like a part of this geological society but she uses her initials instead of her full name so they don't know that she is a woman because uh. i think you know, it being olden times, she is not supposed to be in the society as a woman. But she finds what seems to be a fossil in Spindle Cove. So she wants to go and present it to all of these people, but she can't go by herself. So she has to sort of bribe slash blackmail <laughs> Lord Payne, who is a, you know, a, he's one of those big what do we call those people? Gosh, can you tell I took a break from this book because I was reading After Hours on Malagro Street? You know, those fancy people in England. He's one of those. Uh, he's one of the, what do we Aristocrats? call them? Aristocrats? Yeah, good enough. I'll take it. Oh, March is clearly boding well for me. Anyway. It can only go up. Yeah. So Colin is an aristocrat. He has uh, some family baggage going on and stuff. And He's very sought after because he is because of his aristocratic status. And, you know, so he's kind of mean at first and Mm. they have some friction and she is not traditionally attractive in a way. And but they do kind of go on the run. So it's sort of a fake relationship slash road trip romance. And it is delightful so far. And so far, like I said, I'm only a couple of books in, but the Spindle Co. series is also lovely. I picked it up partly because... I just have been missing reading Tessa Dare's books. She hasn't published Mm. anything since, I think, 2019, which is fine. No author owes any of us anything. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to pop back into her reading. So, so far, very much enjoying A Week to be Wicked, but the whole Spindle Cove series, which begins with, I think, A Night to Remember. Nope. It's called A Night. Oh, A Night to Surrender, not A Night to Remember. So, but you know what? Start wherever you want. You'll get it. I think I have a couple of those and I just haven't read them. I I don't know if it's because like I am afraid of not loving them as much as I have her other series. Mm-hmm. But I have not been disappointed by a Tessa Dare book. So I don't know why I haven't picked those up. So maybe those are moving up my list too. Well, when you get there, you should know that members of the aristocracy are featured quite prominently in some of the books. <laughs> Now that I remember what they're called, I'm going to use it constantly for the rest of the episode. Just FYI. Anytime you want to, I'm down. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
All right. So we do want to do a quick plug. Book Riot has a new newsletter called The Deep Dive. If you are looking for fascinating stories, informed takes, useful advice, and more from the experts in the world of books and reading, you can subscribe to Book Riot's newest newsletter, The Deep Dive, to get exclusive content delivered to your inbox. You can subscribe and choose your membership level today at bookriot.substack.com. Apparently, this is actually not that all of Book Riot's newsletters don't sound cool. This one sounds like it, it, it is filling a gap, though. They're tapping experts to share longer gems based on years of knowledge about books and publishing. It kind of seems to me like they're going for like a more insidery, you know, like if you were interested in the HarperCollins strike or if you're interested in sort of some of what's going on in the industry, lesser known histories to illuminate and inspire book lovers. For $5 a month, you get the deep dive. And if you're on the fence and need some time before making a commitment, free subscription will get you the Splash Pad, which rounds up some of our experts' recommended reading and bookish lifestyle goods monthly. So you know more about Substack than I do, Jess, but it sounds like if you pay your $5, you will get more newsletters, right? And Splash Pad is once a month. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. So, you know, pick your path. Choose your own adventure on that. But it is, you can find out at bookriot.substack.com. And, uh, you know, dive into the deep dive or the splash pad. Probably shouldn't dive into a splash pad. That sounds dangerous. But (laughs) one way or another. Enjoy some water. (laughs) Exactly. Some bookish water. (laughs) All right. So it is a book club week. We're very excited about that. But before we get into book club, we have to get into some nonsense, I guess. That's probably not a strong enough term, but we'll have to get into it. But before we get into that, we have to get into an ad break. So we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. 
For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right, we're back. And Jess, (laughs) I don't even know where to start with the nonsense of... This is one of the stories where we're kind of like, this is deeply unpleasant, but also it's important. And so we probably should cover it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is something that like you only learned about firsthand if you spend time on Twitter, which I know there are a lot of people who don't, but it's not something that is specifically a social media only issue. So um, we definitely wanted to talk about it, about a specific thing that happened and the greater thing. Implications? Implications. I kn- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's We're a partnership. <laughs> trading off words. This is, it's true. This is what we do for each other. Um, the greater implications of the events. It's hard to say that anything will come of it beneficially for anybody uh there is no winner in this situation but we did want to inform people about it so that you can make your own decisions yeah i think that makes sense i will kind of so we're talking about this spoutable uh, controversy again doesn't feel like the right word but (laughs) that's discussed we're having a little trouble picking our words today Mm -hmm. but so And I will say I'm a person who's not on Twitter a ton, but when I was on, particularly the weekend that most of this was happening, this was all that my Twitter feed was. So it seems like, and because all of this happened on either Spoutable or Twitter, it can be difficult to kind of piece together the exact narrative. So Jess, please correct me with anything that you think I may be wrong about. Mm -hmm. But it seems that Spoutable put out some terms of service for the use of their platform, their platform, which is competing with Twitter with, you know, it's one of those ones that has kind of popped up and gained some prominence because of the way that, you know, Twitter has things, some things have been going on at Twitter. So they released some terms of service. It seems that Courtney Milan and possibly also um, some other romance writers, it seems like Olivia Waite may have also weighed in, felt like the terms of service were a little unclear, which is a thing that has burned romance writers in the past, particularly around discussion of sex and use of kind of any language that could be described as, you know, related to sex on a web platform, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a romance writer, you might be trying to explain even just how steamy your book is. That could be considered, you know, discussion of sex. It might violate the terms of service. They were a little concerned. Apparently, Courtney Milan reached out to the team at Spoutable, the head of, of Spoutable, they were, she was essentially told to talk to the head of Spoutable. He's reasonable. If you offer to help, you know, this will be fine. That's what she did. And basically, in response, he, he did not, he was not interested in that offer of help and went into her Wikipedia page, saw that Courtney Milan, in her sort of past as an attorney, had been the victim of sexual harassment. And it was a very public story because of the high profile nature of this particular case. He quote tweeted out a screenshot related to that sexual harassment and basically said, this person has an agenda. So that's why she was challenging my terms of service. 
And a lot of people kind of said, like, wait, no, hang on. That's not what's going on here. Started to ask questions. Folks started getting kind of blocked or suspended or taken off of Spoutable right and left. And it seems like many of those people were romance authors who were either asking questions or trying to offer support to either Courtney Milan or Olivia Waite. And it seems to have been a very clear picture of the way that this particular site is not interested in romance authors being a part of it and is not, at least in that way, as inclusive as one might think. I don't know. That's a a description of what happened. What would you say, Jess, in addition or in correction? That is all stuff that happened. I'll add that Courtney Milan, as you mentioned, has been educated in law. She was an attorney. She was a law professor. She was a law clerk for the Supreme Court. She is, she knows her stuff. So when she reached out about the term of, terms of service, it was as more than just, you know, a private citizen. It was, mm-hmm. I want to help this be more clear and more helpful to more people. Because right now, it looks like you're alienating people, not just in romance, but in all forms of sex work. And that's the thing that suddenly, a week later, or, you know, not 24 hours later, even, it had somehow devolved in the Twitter conversation into, I don't want my kids to see porn. I don't want to see porn. And that's that's what the conversation suddenly became was, oh, these people just want to be able to post porn on Spoutable. And okay, so there is a whole conversation about differentiating between the two. But even so, if we consider certain parts of romance that can be considered, quote, I'm I'm using finger quotes, pornographic, like there are ways to get around that. You know, some, some of the services have like uh, sensitive material filters and that kind of thing. So there are ways through terms of service to build that out more clearly. But as the piling on continued and the back and forth and the escalation of sort of emotions running high, it became less of a, these people who have experience being harmed by other companies writing terms of service or terms of use or anything like that because of language that they might use that is considered part of an umbrella term, it became these white ladies are attacked, attacking a white man for doing something that he wants to do, or a black man a black for man. doing something he wants to do, because Christopher Boozy, the creator of Spoutable, is a black man. So all of a sudden, it became them versus him. So there are a lot of people who might not have gotten the whole story, who latched on at the, all of these people are attacking a black man for providing something instead of looking at this side or that side. And there are people who have legitimate reasoning for that. And I can't speak for everybody and say that I know anyone beyond Courtney, beyond Olivia, beyond Jackie Barbosa and, you know, like five or six people whose comments I saw were speaking in a place of 
concern instead of karening. I don't know. I don't know how many people piled onto that with some element of racist tendencies. I don't know. But that's, you know, there is always some sensitivity and some, like, people think that people hold Black people to higher standards. So there was, you know, like, why are they doing this to him? And why are they, why are they now boycotting? I'm also using uh, air quotes for boycotting because nobody boycotted Spoutable. When a Black man makes it, but not when Elon Musk does, because that was the deal with Twitter. <laughs> if you are unfamiliar with what is happening at Twitter, there's a lot of stuff happening at Twitter. And, you know, the answer to that is it doesn't matter who created the Twitter alternative. We are sticking to Twitter because that's where we're stuck until we find something better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're holding higher standards for the better place. But anyway, like I said at the at the beginning of this part of the conversation, like nobody is going to win out of mm-hmm. this. So it's something that happened that we can talk about to make sure people understand. We haven't really mentioned the greater implications, which are that romance authors who decide to stay on Spoutable might be tripped up by those terms of service. Um, someone has already been banned by posting a quote from their book. So there's like, there's all of this stuff that can happen that has happened in other places where people's accounts have been completely wiped out because they posted material that the terms of service considered offensive or just against their terms of service. There are people even on TikTok who, whose accounts have been deleted because of things that they've posted. So we have concern about how things are written and how well they're going to actually be adhered to. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. You can't play the game if you don't know the rules. Yeah. And that's, I think, because there have been romance authors and maybe in particular marginalized romance authors, there was some discussion as well around queer content, right? Like whether... There was a different standard for discussion around sex or relationships or romance for queer authors. And mm-hmm. not no, I don't think anyone was indicating that, that that was the intention. But I think, again, unless the terms of service are clear, then folks who have been marginalized might be not playing with the rules of the game and not know what – because they don't know what they are, right? Like it's mm-hmm. – I think that's sort of this larger discussion of there are ways, whether it was intentionally or not, to – marginalize a group or a set of authors or, you know, a set of readers, etc. And again, if it's not intentional, then that's great, but it just needs to be fixed. And if it is intentional, well, that kind of sucks. But I guess at least then people know, right? Like, it's just, again, if you don't know what the rules are, you can't make a decision that's informed about whether or not to opt in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's people don't want to get tripped up. And so, yeah, I mean, your point is a good one, too, that Twitter is not necessarily a better option, but it is where people currently are. And so they need to sort of have a, a compelling reason to move. And it feels like this was not that for mm-hmm. many folks. And actually, they don't have the option because a lot of them got banned anyway. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. there it, is. There it uh, is. And people, you know, like people who are not authors who are just sort of 
asking questions or trying to get clarification around what happened or even just calling out what had happened also found themselves banned. And, you know, it just like I said, I think it's it's disappointing because I think people were hopeful and optimistic about what Spoutable might become. And I think for at least a contingent of readers and authors, this was a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Anything else around that disaster that you would like to say, Jess? I have not visited Spoutable since all of this happened. Um, I do not have an account there. I have not looked at any of the more recent discourse. So maybe they have made changes that none of us know about because we are no longer there. But it's definitely something to consider if you do choose to wander over there. As everyone listening is part of the romance community, I would definitely sort of check on those those checks and balances to make sure that it is not a place where we will be disproportionately checked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are so many times, ta- I said checked so many times. <laughs> there are only so many words you could use on this one. I don't think yeah. that's a word limitation issue. That's your fault. <laughs> yeah. For content. So, Yeah. I'm not saying don't go, but... Yeah. And if you're over there and you you know of any of that, you know, of, of changes that have been made or clarifications that have been made or any of that, let us know. Because I think, like you said, I don't think either of us is inclined to wander over. But if it, someone is over there and knows of improvements or changes or developments, we'd be happy to know what they are. All right. As discussed, it is a book club week. Hooray! And we will jump into After Hours on Malegro Street in just a minute. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden. And thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. 
Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. All right, Jess. The return of When in Romance's book club is finally upon us. It is upon us. Or is it here? Maybe It is, it is here. <laughs> Speaking of my challenges with words, upon us might mean not here yet. But it is here. We both write words for a living. It's, it's okay. true. <laughs> yep, it's fine. It's going great. That's. I think that's what happened. We're recording after hours and then <laughs> things, get, things get a little messy. Yep. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the book that we're, we, we read? So... We read After Hours on Malaga Street. It is uh, the first in a new series by Angelina M. Lopez. And it is set in Kansas, in a town that is inspired in part by Angelina's own upbringing. You have Alex, who is an estranged member of the Torres family. She moved to Chicago at a young age. When we start, we're not sure why, but she has come back. And the only place for her to stay is in one of the tenant rooms over her grandmother's bar. And when she gets there, she encounters the other tenant, uh, Dr. Jeremiah Post, who is staying in the other tenant room and he works at the local college. And they are very attracted to each other very immediately. But there's other stuff happening, including uh, Alex and her sisters wanting to take over her grandmother's bar. Alex is a bartender in Chicago. Well, she was until she quit and ran home. But there are other people who want that space. And the book is about Alex and Jeremiah having to work together to figure some things out, Alex and her family, figuring out how to actually be family again, a little bit of a mystery, and maybe a little bit of a ghost. So there's a lot of things happening in this book, but Angelina brought the melodrama, brought the family, all of the things that she is known for in her other series. It, It all came together. Yeah, I liked this book a lot. But I will say, I think for me, it was interesting because I'm glad we were reading it for book club because I don't think I would have put it down. But I think, interestingly, I liked the first third of the book. I really liked the second third. And I loved the third third, Mm. if that makes sense. I think it's one that like, as it got a little deeper, started to... I don't know, tie into my brain and my heart a little bit more mm-hmm. when it was just sort of like a story of these two people who were neighbors and rivals and had this attraction to each other. I liked it. But then when they started to add in this additional element of, wait, somebody might be trying to, you know, take this property out from underneath us. I think that that additional layer to the plot. Mm-hmm really made it kind of stand out from just a, a, you know, from being a more typical rivals to lovers book, because there sort of had to become rivals to co-conspirators to lovers, Mm -hmm. sort of. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of pacing and that plotting 
for me, really worked. Yeah. And uh, um, I mentioned this to you, Trisha, offline, but I had a, a bit of a hard time getting into it. And I think that that breakdown of the thirds is totally how how I felt. Because in part, I was wary because one of my friends was like, I really didn't like this book because she's really mean. <laughs> and mm. so I was like, am I going to be able to get into Alex as a character? And, uh, you know... Eventually, it came to the point where I, I finally stopped futzing around, sat down with the book, and just inhaled it. But I did have to get over Alex being this kind of person who, you know, we talk about unlikable heroines, and part of it is you get to know her better. You get to understand where mm-hmm. she's coming from, why she is the way that she is. But first, your first impression of her is kind of like, wow. She isn't, she isn't a great person. And then it's like, okay, she's, she's not a terrible person. She's not a nice person. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, she's using her meanness as a defense mechanism. And that you, you know, you keep progressing through. Mm-hmm. But I had to get over that hump of in my brain hearing my friend's voice saying, she's so mean. Mm hmm. And then I got into the family and the family relationship. You know, I love families. Like having her as sort of an outsider in that family brought even more of a another level to the character development. And we'll talk about yeah. characters and stuff for you. And, you know, it's one of those things where the characters are very important to me. So it actually took me a a bit to realize that this was a rivals to lovers story because mm-hmm. yes they were rivals for for the space but they already had this other relationship mm-hmm. where they they weren't quite rivals personally yeah and uh, you know part of that is because it's a dual pov book so in alex's head he is very much her rival, but in his head, he just wants everything to work out mm-hmm. however he can actually make that happen. Um, so the imbalance between the two of them is something that I had to get used to, but it it really brought things out into the open very clearly. I'm glad that this was a dual POV book because yeah. I don't think I could have lived with 500 pages of just Alex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's so funny that you point out her meanness because I think that is sort of my guess is that Angelina did that intentionally mm-hmm. in sort of a way of we always talk about how everyone deserves a happy ending mm-hmm. and everyone of all you know, races and ability levels and sexualities and genders and all of that. But we don't necessarily talk about the fact that, like, even mean people, again, Mm. not Nazis, that's a whole other characters, you know, like, people who are genuinely evil do not. But, like, people who are mean and, and even, frankly, through the end of the book, Alex definitely has a little bit of a temper and a and an inclination mm-hmm. to lash out. And like you said, we definitely start to understand why, particularly at the end. 
you really get a peek into her history and what kind of set her down on that track. But you also, my sense is that it's partly a personality thing and there's a good chance that, you know, she she she, she was great at apologizing, right? Once she realized mm-hmm. what she had done next day, you know, she would apologize. But I think that's kind of a part of who she is, you know, for be- whether it's because of historical reasons or because of a personality trait or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and it because despite the fact that she is sort of prickly, sort of mean, that she's built her identity around that, she's not a bad person. She's still mm-hmm. a good person and still is worthy of love. And, you know, Jeremiah sort of takes her as she is. Obviously, it's difficult because there are times when she is really hurtful to him mm-hmm. and he is able to understand why and, you know, forgive her when she asks and all of that. But I think also the fact that he is so nice and so i always hate the term like alpha male or beta male but he Mm -hmm. definitely is more of a just sort of like laid back quiet kind again for some of his own historical reasons Mm -hmm. he is not a person who lashes out he's not a person who is inclined to fight he's much more of a person inclined to sort of step back into the background and i think that in a different author's hands that dynamic could have gone very badly but i think mm-hmm. there was just enough understanding of why each of them sort of quote unquote is the way that they are and an acceptance of that in this book that did make it work although i think i had the same reaction that you did initially was like hang on i can't just listen to this woman be mean to this guy for this for this many chapters like i that's mm-hmm. not going to work but again you do start to you see cuz i think you're I, I agree with you too that the dual pov sort of gives you a little bit of a break from the way that Alex is thinking about things. But at the same time, there were times when it was helpful to see why she was thinking about things in a certain way and what from her past or her history was pushing her to do that. Mm-hmm. I think, too, it's, it's interesting to see she was very sort of upfront about their different backgrounds. He comes from he's a white man who comes from a very privileged wealthy background. And she is a Mexican American woman who is navigating, you know, like the fact that her family is even more potentially broke than she realized when she came back and Mm -hmm. that they are from like the sort of quote unquote bad side of town. And again, I think that could have been sort of so stereotypical that it could have kind of gotten away from from the book and from the author a little bit. But I thought that dynamic continued to work throughout. Hmm. Yeah, and you know, there's a part where Jeremiah talks about his trust fund, <laughs> and it's like, oh wait, he actually does have access to his own money, yeah. which I you don't realize for a while. Mm-hmm. But he's he's you're right. He's really like sort of low key down to earth, and that is one of the things that helps him get along with. Alex's family and eventually sort of helps Alex chill out a little bit mm-hmm. in her own interactions with him because he's not like the other white men in <laughs> in this book like I mean her mm-hmm. her dad her dad shows up later mm-hmm. but like there are some terrible people in this book like yeah really terrible oh, yeah. and uh, those people exist they're not caricatures and you sort of root for her to to be mean to them 
because Mm -hmm. sometimes people just need to be punched in the face. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think that happened. No, and which is actually probably for the best because these people also have a history of like taking legal action against the family so yeah that's true yeah yeah probably for the best but but it's interesting that you mentioned that trust fund because so often in romance there's the trope of like someone one of the main characters is wealthy and the other is not and the wealthy character is able to sort of magically solve a lot of the problems with their money mm-hmm. and what you eventually see and this is i guess starting to wander a little bit into spoiler territory but what you actually see is that when jeremiah tries to solve the problem with the assets that he has, it actually creates a bigger problem than what Mm. they were dealing with originally. And so even though you kind of know throughout the entire story that that is not how Alex wants to solve the problem is by relying on him and his like wealthy white family background. And I still kind of thought there was definitely a part of me part of the way through that was like, dude, come on, you've got to have some money just like (laughs) just figure this out you know like i know it's very painful because you are estranged from your family for very good reasons and they were very emotionally abusive but also Mm -hmm. can we just you know and then like i said when he he comes to the same conclusion tries to do it and it really backfires Mm -hmm. yep did you have feelings about her family like so like you mentioned she's sort of a a bit of an outcast, but I have a feeling that these are characters that we're going to be spending some more time with for another book or two. Mm-hmm. Did you have thoughts on kind of the relationship that she had with her parents or her grandmother or her sisters? It was a relationship that felt very real. Like, you know, if mm-hmm. you're someone who, who you know your family and you grew up with them, but you don't have as much contact with them as you did when you were younger, there are still things that you're not going to be sure about. And with Alex's volatile relationship coming against everyone else, probably many of whom have no idea why she left in the first place, and why she feels so resentful of her parents. Um, mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's going to cause some barriers. Um, but you know, in the end, family is family. And, uh, and not just the people who are blood related in this small group of, of Taurus generations, but like everybody in the barrio who are part of that greater, like, family, cap- like, capital F kind of feeling. So I thought that it was, it was really interesting to kind of learn about these people so that you know sort of where what direction their stories might take them in because i have the feeling mm-hmm. ev- even the sister who is married with children might be getting a uh-huh. romance because that doesn't sound like the greatest situation but um <laughs> yeah you know yeah. it's it's nice to sort of settle into into this town because you know that you're going to be learning even more about it and the the family itself you know the three generation of matriarchs and loretta herself who is kind of as much of a ball buster as alex is like you can tell that's who she mm-hmm. learned it from mm-hmm. but for some reason you don't really 
react to her in the same way. Probably because you're not living in her head for half of a book. But yeah, I, I love reading about family relationships. So this was good. Yeah, I'm also keeping an eye on Mary, their mom, who mm-hmm. kind of had for like most of the book, frankly, she's kind of like in the background, just sort of around. And she's decided to give um, Alex's dad another chance, which Alex has some very strong feelings about. They are not positive feelings. But like there, there are a couple of moments where she really kind of you, you see that same toughness that is in Loretta, the grandmother and Alex in her mom, sort of in that middle generation, too, because she basically says, I am not going to apologize to you for the decisions that I am making that are about my life. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you don't get to weigh in on this. You don't get to come in here and tell me what you're going to do with the place where I work. And you don't get to tell me what I am going to do with my love life. Or like, you just, she really kind of stands up for herself in a way that I think she, to me, she, that's a character that didn't have to be as interesting as, as I think Angelina Lopez wrote her, and I I appreciate that. I'll be interested to see if we get more of her in mm-hmm. in later books. Absolutely. Speaking of which, uh, Full Moon Over Freedom is book two in the series. We mentioned last time we talked that we thought that there was another one coming out. Part of the reason I think that we couldn't quite pin down what it was and when it was coming is because there's like no information on it yet. It's, <laughs> it's supposed to come out in September. I believe it's coming out like the first week in September. Let's see what Goodreads says. September 5th? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, there's no description. So I don't know which sister. My guess is that it's going to be the younger sister, the chef, Mm -hmm. Sissy. But like you said, that older sister definitely has some stuff going on also. Yeah. Maybe when you talk to her this weekend, you can find out for us. I'll do my best. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Any final book club thoughts on uh, After Hours on Malegro Street, Jess? It's really nice to read a book about Mexican-Americans that's not set in California or Texas, mm-hmm. Arizona, mm-hmm. New Mexico. Mm-hmm. So all of the stuff that she included, you know, like we talk about uh, Beverly Jenkins as touting her books as edutainment because there's always something that you mm-hmm. learn about American history in her books. I felt like this was similarly presented where, yes, there is this amazing, intense story a romance, a mystery, a family drama, all of this. But you're also learning about people that they did not teach us about in school mm-hmm. in the history of this country. So that was really cool to be able to read so that I can dig up more information about the Mexican rail workers who came to the U.S. after yep. the Chinese were kicked out. Well, they weren't kicked out, but they yeah. no more Chinese people could enter for a while. So, like, that is not something – when I think Mexican migrant workers, I think farms. I don't think mm-hmm. trains. So, mm-hmm. that was really cool to read about because, you know, I love finding little history tidbits in my books. Yeah. And – you know, fun twist at the end when you find out uh, the real story behind the ghost. Yes, there's just like a lot of history, a lot of uh, a lot, a lot that's going on in mm-hmm. this in this book. But yeah, I definitely it's one I would recommend. I would tell people stick with it, even if if it takes you a second to really latch in, mm-hmm. because by the time I was finished, I was desperately seeking seeking information about book two. So, mm-hmm. so stick with it. Stick with it. All right. Well, because we. Um, had book club and we had spoutable and we had all kinds of stuff we're not doing recommendations this week but we have some fun news for where you might find some books that you might want to read today 
Yes. By the time you're listening to this, the Swoon Awards would have been announced, I think, right? Mm-hmm. They're supposed to come out. I think voting goes until like the day after we're recording, but I think they're supposed to be announced on the 6th when this drops. Yes. So uh, the Swoon Awards are a crowdsourced romance awards. You might have voted on the semifinals and the finals or even nominated some titles there across many, many categories from contemporary romance to debut author to favorite cover. There's so many great things in the list of finalists. So I'm hoping that when you go check it out, there will be some great books to check out that we have not yet talked about because there are so many books on there that I have not yet read, some of which I haven't even heard of. And I'm just like, oh, my TBR. Yeah, no joke. And it's, it's, uh, I'm like scrolling through the books right now. And the books that I am familiar with that are on this list are all really excellent. So mm-hmm. I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what ends up, uh, what ends up on top. Yes. We'll find out. So I will link to the Swoon Awards in the show notes. That you can just pop on over um, after you've read the books that we did talk about. You can uh, pop on over and read some of the books that we didn't. Yes. And let us know what you thought of them. As always, you can uh, you can find us. Reach out. Uh, you can find me at Trisha Haley Brown on Instagram. Not Spoutable. Not Twitter. <laughs> And you can find me in various places with various iterations of Jess's reading. All one word on Twitter, Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram, Jess underscore is reading on TikTok. And I, I don't remember what my hive thing is. I've randomly gone back over there every once in a while, but I'm definitely not over there often enough for you to get anything interesting out of me. I feel like you've given folks enough options. Yes. You'll you'll just start to make me feel inferior if you've got a fourth. <laughs> I am a capital J joiner. I just join things mm-hmm. and then never touch them again. Listen, that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> oh, you can also reach us, of course, at winninromanceofbookwrite.com and do let us know what you were excited about with the Swoon Awards, what you loved about our book club book, what you think we should be reading next for yes. book club. Because we're going to we're gonna need a new one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, huge thanks as always to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. Please rate and review the show. I got nothing else, Jess. Nope, that's it. Uh, happy not yet spring and happy reading. <laughs>